Hi folks, welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by a fellow Scot um, who has followed similar paths when we have our, had our conversation. It's been quite amazing how many connections. He now lives in the south of France, works as a culture and organizational transformation expert, building a new business based around leadership and alchemy and teams. So today you'll hear his story from Motorola all the way through to his work with different consultancies to David Clutterbuck, um, and there's a nice, almost a, a narrative to the way he's explored his work as an engineer into the teams, into the leadership, and now into that space where he's working with leadership uh, leaders and their teams to craft a journey for them. So delighted. Uh, you'll find his style to be very thoughtful, very laid back, really deep in his thinking. I've loved both conversations I've had with Andrew, and uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your feedback. Enjoy. So anyway, how are you? <laughs> I mean, how it's, are you? It's a good question, you know. You know, I had uh, COVID last uh, last month. My my son's at university, and uh, you know, the whole kind of. Mm. university thing started off again and uh, a couple of days he was really sick and i thought oh here we go here we go yeah. so yeah. we we all caught it and uh, we were in quarantine for for most of last month and it's, it's actually taken me i think three weeks or so just to to come back to full health again yeah i got my second dose last month as well so yeah went up to newcastle to the football match and got it and second time i've had it less extreme but still i had to take four or five days off you know just uh yeah go with it so if i was to put a percentage on it i would say i'm probably up at 90 95 i'm still not 100 percent, but uh yeah if you might if you might hear me coughing <laughs> that's the reason <laughs> yeah <laughs> well the editor can do something about that in the background i must say actually that's the one thing that lingers is the cough once you've got it so mm. yeah well I, I was thinking about you actually because i was going back to our roots so up in edinburgh and i was working up there we were doing design for the 500 that we're kicking off as a project and every time i go back up there as we were talking about when, when we talked the last time there's that sort of energy you get from your roots your history and maybe just tell people about the background to you because i found it fascinating we have so much mm. in common but i found it fascinating on your journey so maybe give people a, a background yeah sure colin my mother and father both grew up in scotland um and I, I was born in London, grew up in Scotland uh, with them. And I, I asked my mum, you know, about her history. And it, it, she's got a Scottish Scottish line, mm -hmm. but also a, a Polish line, right? And we talked right. a little bit about the, the Scottish ancestry. My mum's mother's name was Finlay. And if you look back over the, 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 the history of the name Finlay, it goes right back to Macbeth. Mm. And, you know, and my the name said, oh. we mustn't mention. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, I, I love that play. But, you know, a thousand years ago when Macbeth was, you know, the, as you said, the first uh, king of Scotland. I'm not saying I'm royalty or anything like that. No. I'm just saying that it's you just are nice. today, sir. You are on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's quite nice to be part of a family that goes back so far. Mm. And then on the other side, my mum her father polish uh he came over during the second world war 
Oh, wow. Yeah, so I, I can relate a lot to what's going on in, for example, in Ukraine. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was like 17 at the time, hmm. and, and he managed to escape, you know, from that situation and regroup with his fellow countrymen in Scotland, and that's how, you know, he met my my grandmother, basically. Mm. My mom was born. And on my, my father's side, my father, he, was, he grew up in, in Glasgow, Mm-hmm. My mother was more on the on the Fife East East Coast. My dad is on the West Coast, mm-hmm. and his parents they are coming from Ireland. In fact, you know, grandparents. So there's a, mm-hmm. there's that Irish, you know, the Prior. That's the the, the name Prior. Mm-hmm. It's got an interesting history to it as well because the Prior was the manager of the the monastery. Mm-hmm. I haven't done too much research on that, but there, there are kind of Priors in a lot of different countries you know in france for example and and spain you know if you like red wine you know usually it's the le, le, le priori de something yeah <laughs> it is and, and what i love about the connection with scotland and france because if you go way back bonnie prince charlie the french connection in there you know mary queen scots there was always a french connection and there's always been a piece of my heart that's in France and I've always tried to work it out and I I just think there is something there is a connection there was a religious connection in a lot of ways that's that happened and happened to Europe in those days when we look back to uh, the days of the priories and Iona and and the Celt Celtic side and then you go back to to Knox and everything else in there so there's that history in there and and then there's the the piece of you know for all the English listening for everybody else there'll be a translation afterwards this from our accents you know because mine will get probably more (laughs) Scottish as we go through as we talk about it but but there's this (laughs) exactly so there's this bit about you know there's um there's almost a warmth and a an engagement about the Scots, but there's something about it that was under duress. It was because of hardship. And there was a Presbyterian piece put into me, which was if good things happen in your life, then very shortly bad things will happen in your life. Mm. So there's a hard work ethic which goes into it. So I'm fascinated about that background. And if we go back to Macbeth, it's classic classic history. So just tell me about you and um, that, that Polish experience from one side, the Irish experience on the other side. And I don't know if you've ever done any analysis of what that combination brought to your family and to you, because I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, and maybe just before I answer that, there was another thing that maybe I just wanted to to put into the story. My my father was a was a mason. Mm. I don't know if I don't know if this creates a little bit more of an intrigue here. But, yeah, and I don't know if I should say this, but he wanted me to join the masons, and and he said that. The priors were kind of linked to the Templar Knights. Mm. You know? Again, that's the connection. So you're just you're building a case for royalty here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for all those people that think we're talking stonemasons, no, we're not. We're talking masons. Tell for for those people listening, because the Masons is an interesting organization, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It is. And very secretive, of course. Yeah. Huh? They all went underground because of what happened in France, you know, but the, the, the French, I mean, I'm not a historian, but uh, mm. the, roughly the story goes that the the French king at that time, was it back in 1300 and something? I don't mm. know. But, yeah. but basically, uh, they owed so much money to the Templars, because mm-hmm. the Templars were the first bankers at that time. They used to accompany yeah, the people who were going on a crusade to Jerusalem. Mm. So rather than taking all their money with them and getting the risk of getting robbed on the way, 
they would make a deal with the Templars, and so when they arrived, they'd have their money there, you see. Yeah, okay, so I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, this was the kind of the first origins of the of the banking system. So mm. they became very powerful. Mm. And, of course, in France, the, the king owed a lot of money to the Templars. Mm -hmm. So rather than paying the money back, <laughs> he decided... <laughs> to ban know, them, kill them, whatever else. <laughs> Friday, Friday the 13th, that's yeah. where that, that comes from. And, I didn't and of know course, that, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of the Templars, of course, had to go underground because they were being chased. <laughs> and a lot of them, so the story goes... Ended up in Scotland. Interesting. Yeah. Where you know you have the, of course, the the, the lodge, which is um, mm. which goes back a long way. No, for those who are tuning in, thinking this is a Leadership Tales podcast, this is actually the history podcast today. This is we're getting it. <laughs> uh, but I, but I think there's something in there because the banking industry in Scotland has always been so strong. And in yes. fact, my great 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 grandfather had his name on the Scottish five pound note. I think it was that he was the head banker of Bank of Scotland. Mm -hmm. um, so he had his his signature as I think it was a chief cashier um, of the Bank of Scotland. But but there was always a prudence. There was a care with money in Scotland, which is a joke, you know, about you know, we are always careful for our money. But there was a care of money. So there must be something in there. We should we should actually get that, you know, some sort of analysis. I think there is. I, I mean, I think there's definitely something in that. And uh, somebody, somebody who's maybe listening can can check this fact out. But mm. so the story goes that these these Templars, they were warrior knights, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, with a good, you know, financial understanding of how the world worked. This was at the time when Robert the Bruce was, you know, the Scottish king yep. fighting Edward. Yeah, and and so the story goes is that on the battlefield, you know, the the the, the English camp saw these warriors. You know, at the time they're big horses with knights and. And they were going, where did the Scots get these guys, you know? Exactly, yeah. And, and so that's the story was they, they, came, they came from France, basically. Ah, yeah. And, it, it, you know, I know one person who, if I get him to listen to this, hopefully he is listening, Tom Haywood, who um, does a lot of research and conspiracy theories, but the, the Templars, uh, everything is, is that right down his alley. So I'm sure he'll correct me. He corrects me normally on my grammar, let alone anything <laughs> else. He'll correct me on the historical list and i'm sure you'll write me a long email correcting both of us about what uh, we've got no i love tom because he's he is that factual person he wrote yes. something on jfk and conspiracy theories and is uh, invited onto radio programs so i love that okay, so yeah so that's the historical side so irish irish polish then you moved to France, yeah? Yes. Or was there a bit in between, yeah? It was a little bit in between. So basically, so I, I kind of, yeah, studied as an engineer. I love technology, studied as an engineer. My friends used to call me the RT engineer because I was interested in French. So in my spare time, my friends would be going playing football and I would be going learning French because I wanted to learn the French language and the culture. And so I ended up, my first job after university was working as an assistant English teacher hmm. in uh, in the university in Nice, hmm. and I did that for one year and really enjoyed it. I loved loved the the area. You know, you've got the French Alps are very close mm -hmm. to the sea, of course, and I really had a fun time. And afterwards, the university asked me, "Do do you want to stay on? I mean, you know, it seems like you're you're, you're enjoying this." And I was, hmm. but deep down, I knew I had this 
vocation to be an engineer. And I applied for a job with Motorola and I, I got accepted because they were looking for a French-speaking engineer for North Africa, actually. Right. That started my career with, with Motorola. It was 11 years working for that great company, by the way. Fantastic. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, what, it, what, not asking you to name your age, but what, what era was that What in terms of Motorola? Was it the flip phones? It Was it? Oh, yeah. Flip yeah. phones. And, um, and also it was the, the Iridium. That's a, okay. I mean, I can tell you the nice story about Iridium. I was yeah. working in the, in the global product development uh, part of Motorola in Copenhagen, actually. My wife and I, we had moved there. My wife's Spanish. And yeah, it's just the change, in fact. That was that was the pivotal moment in, in Motorola's, I think, culture of the organization. It had grown so big, 140,000 employees or something worldwide, hmm. all these different types of, of divisions. But the communication between them, hmm. it, it was like they used to call it the warring tribes, basically. That was the term. Yes. Yeah. And so these guys at Iridium, this, this you know, satellite communication system, the idea was that you could, anywhere in the world, you could make a, a cellular call, basically. Mm, okay. But what happened was they'd, they'd spent years making the business plan. Then they implemented it. Mm. But when it came onto the market, things had changed so much. You know, we had the, the flip phones, you know, mm. and the European seller, GSM. And they found out that the market that they thought, just wasn't there so it's that minimal viable products waited too long market had changed yeah that, yeah that was yeah that was in 1998 99 just before the agile the whole kind of agile mm. story began you could say yeah. yeah i always find it fascinating to go back to thinking what it was like then and and you know we always say it's the speed of change if anybody starts a speech or a key talk which change is getting faster you go no no shit you know it is but but actually when you hear stories like that that's not too long ago in my life and you think and then the speed of change now and also just listening on the social impact of that because that in theory would have been great for africa as a, a place in the world where you can do that but actually the product market went a different way so whether it was a good thing that had happened and wasn't ready for it it's another another question so yeah yeah i mean the company iridium went into bankruptcy but they still have clients i mean uh, you know most of the the intelligence services in in the u.s and, and europe use these iridium phones i mean you, you, yeah you see them in the movies you know when they're in afghanistan yeah. or whatever yeah that are using iridium phones yeah this is a service we've moved from a history podcast today <laughs> to a technology podcast i'm loving it i love the story we will get to something as leadership but you know there's yeah well it's, it's somewhere in there yeah but you know it's such a why, why let the truth get in the way of a good story was one expression don't know why i said that in there but yeah <laughs> so so that was the motorola experience and then so what was the leap well, yeah. So I'd, I'd, I'd worked, you know, in Motorola. Um, I'd, I'd met my wife in Motorola. Had an office in Palma de Mallorca, of all places. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. This was for, mm. this was the platform for 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 Africa and and the Middle East, and that's where I had met my wife. And then after, after that, we had moved to back to the UK, and then from UK to Germany, and then from Germany to Copenhagen. Uh, where I ended up in this this leadership role to bring you know new new technologies. 
I mean, it became it's really interesting the kind of the politics, you know, in in big organization. And somehow I got a little bit disillusioned, even though I knew Motorola was a great company and it was difficult to leave. I, I knew that I had a calling that I had to mm. I had to to take this path. And I've been talking to to Anna, my wife, about doing an MBA, and she was like sick of me talking about this. <laughs> she said, "Why don't we just do it?" You know, and being Spanish and, you know, she loves the light and, and blue skies and sunshine. And, mm. and you know, we had moved. That's enough of that, Andrew, today, because we had, don't have that yeah, here today. So yeah. just, you know. Yeah, yeah. so she said, day. like, yeah. you know, we're going north, north, north. Why don't we go back to the south? South, south, south. So that was it. The project was like, okay, do kind of uh, like an MBA, refresh a little bit, reset, uh, and maybe start you know, start up again in, in the south of France. And so I found this great school called Theseus, which is now part of EDEC, which is a big uh, business school in France. But it was initially, it was a very small entrepreneurial school that had been uh, started by France Telecom, actually. So there, there, France Telecom realized that they needed leaders for this new information age. They, they could see what was going on with the internet and uh, and all these technologies that were very quickly developing and changing the the world. So that's what I did, and it was it really opened up my eyes. I must admit, because that was the year of two thousand, the year of the the, the startups and uh, the dot com bust as well. And I think there's something which, if you've you know, I I feel like I've been privileged to go and do an MBA, and I always remember when I walked in to the business school and I imposter syndrome coming in here. I never felt I had the intellect to, to do that, but I went and suddenly I was in a group of 60 people, but they won't mind me saying that there was a whole load of people who were senior in organizations, a bit like France telecoms for Ford, other places, very, very mm. senior. And the year, the year gave me a chance to benchmark myself against them. And I actually realized, yes, yeah, some of them are intellect brilliant. But actually, some of the skills I had were skills that they didn't have. And it was a great leveler, a great uh, piece in there. And I'm still friendly with the majority of the, the people that came out of that 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 year. So there's something about, um, and we talk about immersions, there's something about a playground of an MBA to go experience stuff. And some people go very seriously, I've got to do my marketing, I've got my... And then there's the other bit, which is, let's go explore how businesses work yeah, and operate. I mean, it was it was very tough. I must admit, in terms of, it was definitely not a holiday nope. in the south of France. Put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a lot of. Uh, we just had a, our our first uh, kid as well. Right. Uh, our daughter was born uh, in Copenhagen, so we arrived with the the young one, and it was really challenging trying to balance all of that. Mm. But what, what I what I really got out of it was. I was really interested in the people side, the cultural side of, of business. Yeah. You know, so being a technology engineering guy, that was a big that was a big insight. I mean, I I, I enjoyed leading teams in Motorola. I really really loved that. Mm. But but it was like, well, okay, let's look at it. Mm. You know, how do we how do we shift culture in organizations? Yeah. You know, how do we how do we put the human being into the organization? Mm. That's where I you know really started thinking about culture change initiatives and uh, luckily i found a job in sophie antipolis which is um, mm. uh, there's a lot of technology companies there 
part of my my role in that company. I didn't go back to to Motorola, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately. Yeah, that kind of really started me on this this journey of of what I'm doing today, which is mm. which is all about accompanying leaders and and their teams in 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 changing their their culture. And I'm I'm not surprised because the more I think about design thinking, and the more I talk to like people like Tim Brown, who's the uh, you know the chair of uh, IDEO. Mm-hmm. The concept of design thinking, the human-centric design, I'm not surprised that engineers now, and particularly with the technology boom and engineers coming to the fore, yeah, there's certain people who who wouldn't choose to, to, to be communicating, talking, they're much happier coding or doing anything else in their data analytics. But the engineering side and putting it at the humor in the center is part of the product and it's part of the service, but it's also part of the culture. So the, mm. the strides that Google's of this world have done in terms of how we operate and how we work has been massive in there. Some people would say it's good. Some people would say it's bad, but they think about it. So it's fascinating you did that. But I'm always surprised when people say, oh, I was surprised I came from an engineer to a people side because you're a design thinker. You're mm. you're thinking around the problem. So. So that's fascinating. Now I'm getting a theme. So keeping the sunshine, yeah, Palma Mallorca. So so Nice, keeping the sunshine, which for a yeah. Scot is important. Yeah, so you got a bit of sunshine, a bit of warmth. So tell me the next bit because the culture and other things, and and knowing you just a very short space of time, mm. the depth of your thinking is massive. Yeah, and we could wallow in this for quite a while because I love mm. talking to you the last time around this. But what were the key things that you were starting to really get an insight into and working on that time? Yeah, well, I think that that the key insight came when I joined a Finnish consultancy company, mm. and the name of the company is called Inotimi, mm-hmm. which means innovation team. Right. The company was going through um, its own cultural change. Mm. Uh, it was opening up. It was becoming more international. And they brought in, the partners of this company brought in a CEO who was Dutch. This was the first time mm. that they had a, a a leader leading the company who wasn't Finnish. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And this this guy, his name's Adrian Beckman. He really inspired me. Mm. He, he became a kind of a mentor. And, and one of the things that Adrian brought to this this organization was the concept of the horizontal leader. Mm-hmm. Interesting. This is now like um, since 2005, so mm-hmm. 15, more than 15 years I've been thinking about this. Yeah. In organizations, you have that vertical mm-hmm. element, which is, it's it's all to do with the, the yeah, the management, the, the power, you, you're given the power to, to make sure that the organization runs smoothly, mm-hmm. right? You, you make sure everything's under control. Yeah. That's the vertical element, which you really need, of course, yeah, especially when you're you're growing and, and, and scaling up the organization. But you also need this this horizontal part, which is about, it's not about power at all. It's about how do you create a dialogue? How do you create a process for people to to have really quality conversations and co-create a dream together? You know, mm-hmm. what is it we want to to create? What does it look like our organization in two or three years' time? You know, that whole insp- inspiration, ambition about what, mm-hmm. what we can do if we really put our minds to it. And so that's the kind of the inspiration part around a shared vision and then steering yeah so we've got the dream mm-hmm. but how do we get there mm-hmm. you know there's got to be a pro a development process a learning and development process to be able to get 
to this because we don't know how we're going to get there. Yeah. We're going to learn as we go step by step. So steering that process is really important. And then the third element is about the coaching, mm. coaching leaders, coaching teams. And then the the last element is is the courage to make interventions mm. because some some people don't share the same dream. Yeah. What is their dream? Mm. How can we help them to, to find their process mm. to make their dream a reality? Yeah. So that for me was, uh, and then of course I learned a lot about innovation, participative leadership. I mean, this this company um, were really, um, I, I think, leading the leading the field there, and and those that that type of thinking. Mm. I love it. So, and and because that's so relevant now, because the big challenge at the moment is, do you need leaders? You know, there's, and it's not quite as simple as that, and it's a closed question. But what is the role of the leader? And there's all about this power gradients. You know, the mm-hmm. leadership is language. Marquette talking about you've got to try diminish the power gradients so that right across, you get ownership, as you say, common vision ownership. But then it's about how do you steer that? And, you know, we're wrestling with that at the moment because as you get new people coming into senior roles who have worked in more task-oriented type leadership teams, which is command control, get on with your role, and therefore they expect, for example, for me, the CEO to come in and lead and then COO to distribute the, the operating model and then work it. And for me, that's not how I want to operate. So we're going through a fascinating piece, which is the horizontal leader piece how do i work across the spaces but still have that front foot energy towards something yeah exactly and it's it's really about community uh, that's what i experienced with this consulting company i think in in the heyday we were about 40 50 consultants you know in in different countries so it grew quite quite a bit and it's still growing the company i think it's over 100 consultants now but there was that that connectedness, you know, mm. you know, you really felt there's that that psychological safety, you know, where you could really be yourself. Mm. Lots of challenges. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, and, and how do you build a business around that and things like that? But yeah. uh, It'd be boring if we didn't have the challenges. <laughs> <laughs> this bit is that Stepford Wise bit. You know, it's like, is this too perfect? Yeah, or what the hell is that? But I think if you get an organization makes it smooth. And feels connected, then that's great. Yeah, that's yeah. You got to make money. That's that's this is the the, the, the management part. You got to have you got to smooth operating. You got to have mm-hmm. the cash coming in so you can invest and and and, and grow and, and and develop. After that, I um, I worked with a lot of other types of consultancy companies mm-hmm. um, and, and built up my you could say toolbox. And then what happened was. Uh, I wanted to really get my teeth into, a, a, I would say, a, a real big agile transformation. Yeah. And I had this opportunity to work in the financial industry, mm. which I didn't know anything about. And I, I was in, I'm interested in the financial industry because I also believe that, that we need more horizontal leadership in the financial yeah, yeah, yeah. If we really want to, to progress that system of how we you know, finance uh, ventures and, and organizations and things like that. Mm, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, so that was a, that was a wonderful experience, two years working in this, this global um, investment bank. Mm. And what was fascinating here was very quickly, I got 
you know, sucked into the, the agile, which is people call it agile coaching, mm-hmm. but actually it's more like an expert, you know, you're, yeah. you know, there's a language to it. It's, mm-hmm. it's software development based. And I, I was kind of distracted actually by that. Mm. In a good way. It, well, I learn a lot. I learn a lot uh, in terms of, you know, how the whole agile development process works and it does work, but you need that horizontal leadership part. Yeah. If you don't, if it's just done through a purely vertical management, hmm. it's almost like we're doing this to get more shit done. Sorry yeah. to, to no. kind of paraphrase it there, but that's, that's what was happening in this company. Hmm. And people were, were actually resisting it. Yeah. And I had this realization. I thought to myself, we need to create a inspiring vision mm. uh, from top, middle, bottom, yeah. about why we're doing this. Mm. Why, why is the agile transfer? Why is that an, int- why is that an important detail mm. in the dream of where this, this organization wants to go? Yeah. yeah, and that's what got me really. I, I don't know if you've read a book called um, Dreams and Details. Have you? No, I haven't. Yeah. That's an excellent book. I can really recommend that one. Yeah. So that's really got me into this present moment, which is making those types of dreams, you know, mm-hmm. accompanying the leaders and teams so that everybody can connect to that dream and, and it and instills and it kind of instills that that sense of meaning and, you know, desire. People want to change something. Of course, you need the mindset to go with that dream, which is the whole leadership and development aspect, you know, mm-hmm. the values, the beliefs. I mean, it's very different project management to, you know, product owner, scrum master. I mean, mm-hmm. that transformation doesn't happen overnight. It takes, takes months. And I think what is really useful in this is that you've you've been on a journey of exploration. You've had your playground, so you've gone off and done agile. You've gone off and done the horizontal leader, and you've captured. So, and for me, this is where when I'm encouraging people in their careers, I'm going to say go play in different places because, you know, once you go into financial services, uh, reading Jacqueline Novogratz's book, which is the you know manifesto for a more moral society. And and she is an investor and her, her whole thing is how do I make these commercially sustainable businesses mm-hmm. but with patient capitalism, you know? So with patient capital that goes on a longer journey and it's not all about big profits, it's about sustainable growth of that. And that's what you're talking about in the financial services. Then you're talking about how do you keep that in the agile mode. And again, everything is used sometimes in a good way, in a bad way. But I'm with you. I think agile has been used to get shit done. Mm. Whereas agile for me is about getting, you know, using design thinking agile is about getting better, fresher ideas. And then you come full circle back to horizontal leadership because, you know, as, as Tim Brown said when asked the questions, so how would you get design thinking better organized into organizations? He said, I'd want the organizations to run in projects, yeah, um, because that gives you a, almost an ecosystem to work within that allows it to live and breathe. So you're getting to the horizontal leadership piece. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, companies like um, Spotify—they're they're famous for their framework. They call them tribes. Yeah, you know, these are coming back to the Scottish thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, freedom. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so tribes of 120 people, 
yeah. you know, where you can have that strong uh, human connection. You know, people know each other, and mm. yeah, the, you 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 really connect to that that dream of what you want to create together. And and there's a, a very strong sense of of meaning. I think this is where we are at the moment. I mean, before I joined, you know, Timmy, in fact, I had that reflection moment where I realized that we do need leadership. You know, and you said that playground, and and I have that 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 self leadership is such an a a key aspect. We need to to be aware of who we are as a human being, and then once we've we've done that work, then we can work with with other leaders. But then we have to have that awareness because you know we were we have different mindsets, different beliefs, different dreams. How do you bring all that together? in a in a way that's constructive hmm. and and you know energizes the people and then recently uh, i've been working with david clutterbuck i don't know if you know mm, david. i know him yeah and he he's created a, a really interesting model called uh, the complexive adaptive system hmm. uh, peril model he calls mm-hmm. it where leadership of course is fundamental block right at the right at the the bottom there mm. he he talks about leading systems hmm. yeah because we need to understand how these systems are influencing us yeah. and vice versa mm. and and of course systems they have a past a present and a future mm. and sometimes we yeah sometimes we we forget a little bit about the past you know and and yeah. all these things that are in some way influencing our current behavior which maybe we don't need anymore one of the things i am really fascinated by is how you take a team to be call it high performing and high performing is one of those other things that well that's used to make people do more stuff yeah and and i i basically see high performing as the ability to for somebody to do a really good job on the day that motivates them that has good for others that moves them forward towards their purpose and that for me is high performance and that now there'll be different levels in the world but but when you come down to something like the systems and the, and the work in there and and how we're operating there's almost this piece that goes yeah there's all these ecosystems and there's all these systems to work across but when you try to get them all to interact and overlap yeah and then you start to get well who owns the overlapping pieces then I can see where the argument comes in, which is leadership gets in the way because the handoff or the bringing together of the two tribes or the two systems mm-hmm. is where the gray area goes, well, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your... Uh, so I think there's something in what you're saying and the journey we've taken about horizontal leadership to agile to David Clutterbuck's work now, which I love, leadership as systems. Mm-hmm. Those systems can be multi-complex. Yeah. Or they can be back to Taylorism and here's my system, here's your system and how they operate. Mm-hmm. And that goes that goes back to your coaching piece that you're now on, which is Gestalt, if I pronounce it right, because I always feel like I'm right pronouncing it wrong when I do that. Yeah. 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 I mean Gestalt is because Gestalt coaching is is very interesting. Um I, I came across this through the um, John Leary Joyce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, John is uh he, he wrote a book. Actually, it's it's called Fertile Void. And this is the. This is, I, I think I maybe mentioned this before. Yeah, to you, Colin. No, but maybe not to the listeners. No, Fertile Void. Yeah, yeah, the Fertile Void. And so the, the the whole thing with Gestalt, of course, is that 
it's it's about the present moment mm. yeah so mm. when we're aware of of what's going on something will come up from the the yeah. fertile void yeah. that catches our attention mm. and you know because it catches our attention we want to yeah we want to there's some sort of need behind that that yeah. we have you know you, mm. you, if we talk about self actualization there's a need there mm. Yeah, we get more interested in it until finally we get that that contact, mm. and the contact in Gestalt is you know where your your need is 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 satisfied basically, mm. and of course the the whole cycle of experience in Gestalt is that okay you have that contact but then you know there's a period where you you know you kind of like reflect on it and think well that was that was really good that was interesting I'm satisfied and and then experience curve is complete that that's what we call a, a gestalt basically that that pattern yeah, okay interesting and then yeah. something else will emerge and it's it's interesting just to, to observe you know using mindfulness for example mm. as a as a leadership technique is is yeah to, just to be aware of where these ideas where they're coming from are they coming from the past are they coming from you know, intuition, for example. I was chatting to another person in the, this series, uh, my new bromance in my life, which is Casey Carter, and he has a uh, a beautiful book about permission to glow, but he has four levels to that. And I, I, the way I love it is it's permission to chill and that pause and reflection piece. As a leader, we don't know enough of that. So we have an experience and we're off to the next one. And we're off, And all we're on one meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting. We don't. So permission to chill is one. The second level, once you've got that, is the permission to feel the feels. Yeah. And what I love about that is, and he puts a gender bias to it, which is generally women will do this more than men, is they will feel the feels, they go through the emotions, and they'll listen to the emotions. Um, and I can relate to that is that, you know, I was brought up not to almost feel emotions. Yeah. In there. But they, then he says, you got to do that work. And then that allows you permission to go to the third level, which is permission to, to glow in the dark, which is to do your dark work. Now, he has a fascinating piece in there, which he, he says the fourth level has just come to him. And he's big into meditation and mindfulness and everything else that goes with that. Uh, and he talked about that, you know, most people stop at doing the, 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 hard, the dark work, you know, the hard work, you know. Whereas he puts a fourth level in there, which is to permission to glow in the light, which is to collaborate with others. Now, a lot of people listening go, really, Colin? Oh, God. But what was fascinating to me is now the more and more I talk to other people, other leaders, other organizations, mindfulness, meditation, all of these things, that ability to go through that cycle, that experience, to go through a loop, mm -hmm. yeah, which for me it is a loop to do the hard work and then think about how that impacts onto the next piece is the important bit. When do we do that thinking? Yeah, you need some sort of, the word that comes to mind is purpose, yeah? Higher self. I mean, this is why I've been thinking a lot about this because Gestalt is all about the flow experience, yeah? When we're in that flow. That's, when you start talking about the glow, I was thinking, oh, flow. Yeah. You know, And, and when we're in flow, it's, um, it's, a, it's a very special experience and and we want to have that and and gestalt makes us very aware of of the things that interrupt yeah. that that flow experience mm -hmm. so that for me is very much part of the self-actualization tell people who are listening who might not know that i mean but just 
talk to that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. I think it was a term coined by Maslow. I think yeah, wasn't it? when he did his hierarchy of needs, and right at the top was this the self actualization where you. And I think I'm just going to pop in another name here that uh, uh, Carl Jung. He talked about, of course, the, the 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 psychology of human beings, but that there's a kind of an individuation process that all human beings go through. And if we are left to be natural and natural human beings, not being controlled, mm. yeah, we we tend to self-actualize. And yeah, so that individuation process that Jung talks about and, and Maslow, I think that's really, really important. But it's only one part of the, the story because there's, a, there's another part which is to do with self-realization. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is more to do with who am I becoming as a leader? Mm. You know, maybe the listeners here, I'm going to say a spiritual aspect, you know, the, the, you could say the moral aspect. Of, of leadership, the ethical aspect. I mean, I think that's really interesting. Mm. It's difficult. I mean, and, and I think, the, you know, for example, crisis of, of separation, you know, when we're separated in our biographies, there's, of course, there are certain moments in our lives where we're separated from people that yeah. we love. And, and this can be a, a, an important point in our bi- biography to, to reflect about these things. And another thing that uh, that's come to me quite recently is the polarization of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if duality is the same as polarization, but that's that's the word that comes to mind here. But that's for a, a brainier person than me to work out. But yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm <laughs> with too. I'm with you on the uh, polarization because that's yeah, it's there. How do we synthesize polarities? Yeah. You know. I mean, so much. Call. I mean, now we see what's going on with the information and mm. how it's difficult to actually how it's easy now with all the the technologies that we've got, global technology, social. Yeah. How it's easy to to polarize. Yeah. It's the Jacqueline Novogratz has a lovely story where she goes to Pakistan, and she's in a community, and they're talking about Malala. So mm. um, and the impact. And it was interesting because she had she held before she went into this meeting this natural Western view of Malala, which she was brilliant, and she was the one who was challenging the in Afghan worlds. You know, she was the one who was who was raising the profile of women, and and mm-hmm. went to the tribe that um, and had a whole group of people in that room, and there was the polarity of the people who agreed with her on that Malala and then you had the opposite side who just thought she was you know wrong and was in the wrong mindset and about the role of religion and women and then went to this real argument which is the it's the Americans who caused the you know the um, the whole Taliban issue and therefore you know so so she was in this room and there was this one person she talks about this one person man sitting in there who um had a face like thunder, and she asked him, so what's your view? And he said, he was the tribe that Malala was part of, and he said, I feel that the, you know Malala is just a symbol to the west of the bridge, and it's their easy access to the bridge of a very complex issue because they were a well-educated tribe and a well-educated area, but they were impacted by the Taliban. So you get to this point about the system 
in there. Mm, exactly. And when she came out of that, she went to Dubai. And if I'm getting this story right, apologies if I haven't, but she goes to Dubai and, and the first session she's got is a meeting and a, a woman asks her, just before we start, can I ask you a view of Malala? And so she came from this beautiful place where she said, well, it's complex. I see her as, and she just repeated everything she'd learned from that, that session. They said, okay, good, we can meet now. So there is this self-actualization, self-realization, and then there's this stuff that happens when you get the polarity in the world, whether it's fed with the right information, the wrong information. So leaders, how the hell do you do this? Yeah, no. That's it. And, and you know, and it's, um, I see it in my, my own life, kind of a spiral, mm -hmm. you know. As leaders, we're spiraling through life with self-actualization, with self-realization. Hmm. And, and becoming more and more aware of what's going on, yeah. you know, uh, and, and I'm just fascinated with what's going on between Putin and, and yeah. Putin and, and his team mm. uh, or his organization yeah. and, and what's happening with, you know, the, the, the U.S. And, and of course, Europe and allies. And yeah. uh, it's, as you say, there's that kind of polarization going on, oh. you know. It's interesting, you know, how do you, as leaders, how do we understand that, that complexity? Mm, yeah. Because at the end of the day, you know, as a leader, you need to, you know, you also need to make decisions, right? Yeah. You know, you see what's going on with BP and, you know, for example, Shell. making the, yeah, yeah leaving, fascinating. Mm, it is. And, it, you know, we could talk and talk and talk and talk and this. It's, it, what's interesting is your story is almost a journey through some of the things that they're dealing with. So from the engineer, you know, the, the engineer going off and designing and working and, and mixing cultures, you know, going to North Africa. And then it goes to this experience where you're starting to go into um, a world of agile. Yeah, you're starting to go into worlds of financial services and how we fund and the commerciality of all of this. And then you go into this amazing experience out in the consulting sector where you started to learn about the horizontal leader and how to operate. And then you go, you're almost going full circle into the, the coaching and the individual. It sounds like a, an amazing journey. So, but what next? Where are you going? You know, what are you doing? I'm building a business. Team Alchemy, which is an interesting name in itself. How do we create value? You know, you, you talked a little bit about um, about high performance teams, and now we talk about creating value, value for mm. for 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 individuals, value for the team, value for the the organization, value for the community, for the mm. for the planet. We're all connected, right? And uh, as we've found out with this COVID uh, pandemic, <laughs> we, can, we are all connected. So I'm building a business around, um, of course, leadership teams, leadership teams, um, understanding complex adaptive systems mm -hmm. so that we can build organizations that are regenerative nice so it's a lot i mean for example in if we go back to the financial industry there's a lot of talk about esgs or mm -hmm. what's the other word i was thinking about um uh, something b corp b corp yeah b corp yeah we had the conversation about whether we move a, a b, to a b corp for our lettuce yeah, yeah yeah so b corp esg funds uh mm. but the, the big question is is what are we measuring it's not just 
the the financial value it's the the social value yeah. and it's also the ecological value huh? because yeah. i mean you know the ecology is right here with us right now i mean that's why we can breathe yeah. have a glass of water or yeah, right. you know it's the ecology is right there with us and it it impacts us so creating value on those three areas is is very important i think mm. going forward in terms of the the financial system is we need to be able to identify companies that are actually creating value in those three areas and at the moment it's you can shine a light on any direction to make the company look good but what's how do you really compare apples to apples what is the measure and it, you know it couldn't couldn't end in a better place because when you come to it, what value have you added yeah um and when it comes to organizations a lot of people will say yeah let's let's do something radical as long as it doesn't affect shareholder value <laughs> yes. uh you know that's that's the piece that for yeah. me that's that i want to change and i know that other people in society including yourself want to change is that uh, we get to societal value we get to sustainable businesses that feed our communities uh, and the world we live in so very deep end to a great conversation so andrew if if people want to find out more about you or connect with you how would they do that well you can uh, have a look at our shop window come to www.teamalchemy.eu nice that's probably yeah have a look at the website or you can um, send me uh, an email at andrew.prior at teamalchemy.eu and prior with a y or with an i with an i with an eye yeah brilliant no i always get the feedback afterwards go why didn't you ask me is it why or not so that's great don't wonder the other with a why prior getting any emails from people going i want to connect and go why <laughs> no it's with the eye the eye in the middle the eye in the center that's fantastic Andrew, it's been a sheer joy to uh, to go through that. We could talk more and more, and I hope we do again. Yeah, likewise, Colin. Yeah, it was lovely, and I, I really didn't know where we were going to go with this, and, and I really appreciate your your skills in, in making this a, um, a really rich, quality conversation. So thank you very much. Wow, that was that was Andrew. I could have gone on with that conversation for many, many an hour. Uh, and when you meet somebody who has that impact on you, where you get into thinking, but actually brings structure, rigor, thought, process, the David Clutterbuck piece that we talked about, the Motorola, the horizontal leadership, and the flow into Gestalt, you, there's a piece in there that there is a thoughtful person who's considered a journey. And, and I think sometimes, I think in life, there's a couple of styles of coaches or facilitators that come and help people like myself or organizations one is the the deeper thinker and the process thinker who provides the agile background the horizontal leadership thinking and helps you to to deeply think uh, around the process and be intentional about what you're doing and then there's the other people who come and provide the the short punchy habits practices that teams can pull together and you know facilitate them in terms of their output and I think Andrew forms in, uh, falls into the former, and I, I love that style because it is very different to mine, and therefore I could talk to him for hours, and I almost feel like I'm going through a therapy session for me as a leader as I listen to him. So hopefully you enjoyed the same, and I'll look forward to welcoming you back in another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast very shortly. <laughs>